0: Hey, uh, you may notice that in your bulletin, uh, the title, there's some verses there, but the title is like kind of a fill-in-the-blank thing. Um, that's not an accident. That's intentional. And uh, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to have a little fun this morning. Corey's going to stay up here and help me for a second. Some of you may, um, may have, who's heard of the kind of internet game? It's maybe less popular now than it was earlier in the year of Wordle. Who knows Wordle? Right? Yeah, okay, Like, there's a daily word, it comes up, you go on, I think it's just Wordle.com or something, I don't know. You just type in Wordle and it pops up, and you have guesses to try and guess this five-letter word. It's kind of a fun game, it's once a day you can play, I recommend it. Um, there's also another version that Corey and I discovered sometime in the spring called Hurdle, like, Hurdle. And as you can imagine, what that would be, it it plays a clip of a song. And at first, it just plays one second of the song, and you have to try and guess the song. Um, And so, in line with our our message today, uh, the title of today's sermon is actually a song. So, we're going to play a little hurdle here. Uh, Corey uh, hopefully knows how to play the song. We'll find out for sure here in a second. He's convinced me he does. So, uh, let's take a listen. And he's going to play this. And if you know the song, just shout it out loud and proud, okay? Or if you, if you think you know it, you may be wrong. Um, we won't laugh, but try your best. All right. You ready, DJ Corey Core? You guys ready? How to Save a Life by The Fray. Who knows this song? How to Save a Life came out in 2005, uh, and you better believe... I had my, my dorky headphones on and my CD player in my room, singing like I was the lead singer of the fray. Um, good thing there's not video of that anywhere, because that would be quite embarrassing. Corey, thank you. How about a round of applause for our hurdle, hurdle DJ. So there you go, we're off and running. If you have your bulletin, you want to fill it in, how to save a life. That's kind of what we're going to be looking at this morning. Um, you know, I don't think any of us desire not to save our lives. I think all of us are probably looking for that in some realm or fashion. That's what we're all after is, well, how do I, how do I, how do I preserve life? How do I save life? How do I live forever? What are the necessary steps to do that? Right, and the world will tell us a lot of different things, right? Whether it's the latest health fad or fitness thing to preserve our bodies physically. But ultimately, I think we all know our bodies are finite um, and our souls are not. So how do we truly save our life? We're going to look at a portion of scripture today uh, that starts with Peter and Peter's desire to save and preserve his life. Okay, so let's set the scene here. You can follow along on the screen. We're going to be in Mark chapter 8. Uh, We're really focusing on verses 34 through 38 today. Uh, But let's start in 31 to get a little context of what's happening. So Peter and Jesus have this interaction. You can see it on the screen and follow along. It says, He began to teach them, Jesus began to teach his disciples and those around him, that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days, rise again, rise again. And he said this plainly. Okay, so Jesus is revealing, hey, this is what's going to happen. I'm letting you know the Son of Man. He's referring back to Daniel chapter 7, the prophecy that Daniel had with the Son of Man. He's saying, hey, by the way, that's me if you haven't figured it out yet. And I'm going to die. This is the purpose of what's going to happen next. If you look ahead to the next part, this is what uh, Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. It's funny, you read that, and I read that, and I'm like, Peter, you're rebuking Jesus. What are you doing? Well, I stop and think, well, maybe I rebuke Jesus sometimes in other facets, in the way I act or think or speak. Um, He began to rebuke him, and turning and seeing his disciples, he rebukes Peter. So Peter rebukes Jesus. Jesus, in turn, rebukes Peter, and he says this, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Peter was more interested in saving life. He's like, whoa, whoa, Jesus, hold on. No, 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 that's not what this is about. You're the king, you're the savior, you're the messiah. You can't go die now. That's not how it's supposed to be. And Jesus says, Peter, you're thinking wrongly, my friend. You're fixated on man and this little image of who man is and not thinking about the things of God and God's greater purpose and greater plan for this whole thing. Peter spent time with Jesus for years, and he still had his mind on saving life. And so I think that ought to be true for many of us. I know for myself, I often find myself thinking, well, if I do this financially, it will set us up better than financially. Or if I do this from a health standpoint, then in 20 years I'll be better in this way. And we're always, I think, plotting and planning our lives, thinking of, well, how do we we make the most benefit for ourselves and for our life? So with that, let's get into our passage for today. We understand what's just happened. Peter and Jesus just had this interaction. And then in verse 34, it says this, And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him the Son of Man of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the angels. So Jesus kind of sets a few things clear here. And we're going to dive into this today and look at exactly what he's saying. Uh, Some of this may be familiar. Maybe you've heard parts of this before. Uh, But it starts with this. In, In verse 34, it starts with really an offer. Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, right? It's an open invitation. Hey, if you want to follow me, go ahead. It's not exclusive. It's an inclusive invitation. Anyone wants to come after me? Great. That's awesome. But look what it entails. If anyone would come after me, The first thing he says is, let him deny himself. Let him deny himself and take up his cross. Second thing, and follow me. Kind of a three-piece thing here. It's not just, hey, if anyone wants to follow me, come on, we're just headed this way. Do whatever you want. Continue whatever you're doing. Continue your ways of operating and thinking and speaking and acting. But just follow me and we'll start heading this way. No. It's an open invitation, but there's some instructions that come along with it. And really, what this is, is a clarification of what Jesus was really after. See, he wasn't just interested in the crowds following him aimlessly just for their own benefit. But he was interested in something far greater. So let's look at this. Jesus' offer to follow after him includes three instructions. The first one is this deny myself right he says if anyone come after me let him deny himself or deny herself this pertains to us today deny myself now you hear that and i think like well what you know what does that mean like i shouldn't have a se- second helping of ice cream i should like deny that like i shouldn't like you know watch that show that i really wanted to watch i shouldn't you know go spend money on that thing if you look at the, the word, the original language, I don't speak Greek or Hebrew, but you can see it on the screen here. Uh, it's pronounced aparneomai. Uh, and the translation is, is to this, to have no association with or to disown completely. So in other words, Jesus is saying, hey, if you want to follow after me, the first thing you need to do is to deny yourself to have no association with your former self out with the old in with the new you need to disown it completely that entails many things maybe it's a sin that's reoccurring and like, hey disown it have no association with that anymore maybe for you it's self-righteousness like well I, I can do it I've got it all figured out and Jesus says yeah no more of that that's your old self it's time for something new Maybe it's legalism, self-reliance, self-confidence. No matter what it is, we all have a version of ourself prior to coming to saving faith in Jesus, and Jesus is now asking us to deny that self, that we would become a new creation, right? Scripture talks about if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. That's true, but we should actually see that in our lives by doing this, by denying ourselves. And what's interesting here is this is the same, same original word used later in Peter's denial of Jesus. So we see Peter, once he's already like denying Jesus in this interaction, He's saying, whoa, 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 Jesus, no, let's not get too crazy, man. Let's not get too radical. Let's, things are good. We're hanging out with you. We're following you. We're like doing life together. Things are good, right? And Jesus says, no, they're not good, because that's not the plan. That's not God's desire. God's desire is far bigger and greater than you can even imagine, Peter. As you know the story of Peter, Jesus foretells at the last supper, hey, here's what's going to happen, Peter. Three times you're going to have an opportunity, and three times you're going to, pardon me, oh my. You're going to deny, not yourself, but you're actually going to deny me, Jesus. And if you're familiar with the the story of the crucifixion, you know that comes to be true. That Jesus predicts that Peter would have three chances to claim him and to claim association with him. But instead, he does this. He claims to have no association and he disowns Jesus completely. The exact opposite of this first thing that we're looking at. Deny myself. The second one is this. To take up my cross. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. Now, I think some of you are probably familiar with this, but I think often we kind of romanticize the cross and we think, like, oh, like it'd be a great necklace or it'd be a great tattoo. And that's true. I think those things are cool. If you have those things, I'm not bashing you. But here's the reality of it the cross wasn't a lovely thing, it's become a lovely reminder of the death that Jesus died for our sake. But the truth is this. The truth is that we belonged, belonged, belong, you know, grammar, belong on the cross instead of Jesus. He who had no sin took the penalty for us full of sin. Think of the cross this way the cross is what it is, it's an instrument of execution. This wasn't unique for Jesus. This was a common way to put to death the worst of the worst criminals of that time. It's not like they created this new thing. Hey, I'm really gonna make him suffer. No, it's like we have this. Like, what's the worst thing we can do to this guy? Well, it's the cross, because it involves a long, painful, shameful suffering, ultimately ending in death. Now I I prepare you for. What's going to pop on the screen next, because this may feel graphic and extreme. But here's how this text might read in modern day language. If anyone would like to follow after me, deny, he must deny himself, and take up his own electric chair. Think of it in that way. Like, hey, grab your electric chair. Yep, that's the one that we're going to strap you in. That's the one that we're going to kill you in. And follow. Pick it up. Start carrying it. No one will be excited about that, right? No one's excited about the idea of execution, let alone persecution. But here's what Jesus is saying is, hey, look, persecution is far greater than prosperity. Let me get that straight. He's telling this to his disciples saying, hey, look, if you want to follow me after me, just understand this. It's not all glamorous. It's not all fun. The way of the cross involves shame and suffering and difficulty. He's, he's like... I'm not pulling any punches here. I'm just going to set it straight for you guys. This is what it's about. So if you want to follow after me, great. But prepare yourself. Because the cross is a burdensome thing. But that's part of this invitation. Deny yourself. Take up your cross. And then he says this. He says, and follow me. So the third one is follow Jesus that word, that phrase, I feel like gets tossed around a lot in our culture today. Well, I'm just following Jesus. I just love Jesus. But I think this passage paints a little bit better clarifying picture of well, what does that really mean? Because following Jesus doesn't just mean, well, I love Jesus with all my heart because I had this great experience at camp when I was 15 years old. And now I'm just going to try really hard to be nice to people and love people really well. That is a major conflict to what Jesus is teaching his disciples here. No. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. The original word here is akalutheo. And it would translate to, to join as a disciple, or to conform wholly to one's example. Again, the idea of being a disciple, similar to the cross, that wasn't new, that wasn't unique to Jesus. That was a thing that different leaders and rulers would have. They'd have disciples who would follow after them, and it really... They're coming to imitate and learn from that person. So Jesus had disciples. That wasn't unique, but that's what the ask is. Discipleship isn't some thing that Jesus made up, but rather, I think of it this way. Think of the word apprentice. Jesus is looking for people to apprentice underneath him, to learn from him, to imitate him, to conform to what he's doing in every facet, every part of his day. So it's not like a buffet of, well, I'll take some of this part of Jesus because Jesus is very loving and accepting. I'll take some of this over here, but I'm not doing the full thing. No, it's an all or nothing offer. He says, hey, if you want to follow me, you're conforming fully in whole to living the life in a way that I'm living. So Jesus is inviting us to really become an apprentice underneath him. And it involves these these three parts. Now we're going to circle back here in a minute, but I want to walk through the rest of the the passage. That's kind of the main thrust of the morning. Verse 34 is that. It's, hey, this is what it is. And now we're going to look real quick at verse 35 through 38, which really operate as, I would say, supporting reasoning, supporting evidence for why Jesus is making this ask. The first is this. Look at verse 35. For whoever would save his life. Again, aren't we all interested in that? That's what we're after. I don't think anyone here is jumping up and down like, ooh, pick me, persecution, execution, electric chair, I want that. No, I think we would all hope for ourselves to live as long as possible and be as healthy as possible and have a comfortable life and have the things provided for us. But here's the paradox Jesus says, Whoever saves his life will actually lose it. And whoever loses his life will save it. What? This flip of thinking. This backwards thinking to how we would normally operate and think, well, of course, I need to preserve this. I need to be, I need to be you know, conservative with this stuff over here. I need to be safe with this. I need, to, I need to prepare for that. I need to be ready for this. I need to go do this. I need to have these things. I have to have a plan B, C, D, E, F to make sure if that doesn't work I have this thing. Jesus says No. Saving your life equals losing your life. And losing your life is how you'll actually save it. Just like we sang, I gain it all in the letting go. But you only experience that when you stop seeking to save it and start seeking Jesus. So it's not coming to Jesus with an agenda that he can fill your wants and needs and hey, here's my grocery list, Jesus. What can you do for me? But rather, hey, Jesus, give me the grocery list. What do you have? What do you have for me? I don't, I, my grocery list, I tore it up and I threw it out and I put it in the shredder and it's gone and I'm ready to take your grocery list. And whatever that means, whatever that means for my life, whatever uncomfortable thing you might have for me to walk through, I want it. I want in. There's a caveat to this. That's often what asterisks mean, right? Uh, I think, again, not a grammar person. I know we have teachers in here. Don't ridicule me. But that asterisk is unique because it's not just losing your life, right? But he says, for my sake and the gospel's. So don't be misled and think, oh, well, I just need to like, like sell everything I have. I need to get rid of my car. I got to sell my house. I got to go, you know, live like nothing. And I'm going to go check into the rescue mission and get rid of all my belongings. I'm not going to have any identity of any sort. I'm just going to be nothing. Well, that's not, that's not the point. It's no, for the sake of Jesus and his gospel. So what does that mean for you? That might include some of those things I just mentioned. But what it really means is giving up an identity. The word life there is the word psyche. I'm sure you've heard that, your psyche. Which is really talking about this. It's talking about your identity, your personality, your your selfhood, your preferences, your desires, your wants. Are you willing to give it all up? Are you willing to lose it for the sake of Jesus, knowing, hey, my ideas are over here, but I found this, and it's so much better. I think about the parable that Jesus tells in Matthew 13 about the man who comes across a buried treasure, and I'm sure many of us know it. The man comes across a buried treasure in a field, and he goes, and he sells everything, He says, what I found here, this is the kingdom of heaven. I found it. This is better than anything I have. I don't need my former life anymore. I can get rid of my career. I can get rid of my house. I can get rid of my family. I can get rid of my car. I can abandon it all. Full abandonment of that because guess what? I found this in Jesus and that's what I want now. Whoever will save their life will lose it. And whoever loses their life for the sake of the gospel will actually save it. I'm sure that makes sense to us as we hear it. And we probably agree in our brain, oh yeah, I know this. I've heard this. But it takes something more, right, to get down into our heart. Something seems to happen here, and there's often a disconnect. We hear it, but then the the implications and the application of it get lost. He goes on, verse 36. Hey, question. Who likes rhetorical questions? Nice. See, yeah, there you go. It's a rhetorical question in itself. Jesus kind of throws down these two rhetorical questions, which rhetorical questions are funny. I was always the kid in school who, like, would blurt out the answer to the rhetorical question because I didn't understand it was rhetorical. And then everyone would laugh and be like, hey, dummy, like, like, that was an obvious question. Um, That's kind of what Jesus does next, right? Look at verse 36. He says, For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? rhetorical question, right? He's not looking for an answer. Everyone around him are probably like, oh yeah, good point, Jesus. Um, if we were doing Hurdle again, I'd probably uh, have have Corey play the song by Toby Mac, right? I don't want to gain the whole world and lose my soul, right? Anybody? 2008, I think. I looked it up the other day. Um, That song played in my head a lot this week. Um, But the thing about rhetorical questions is this, is you can easily rearrange them a little bit and take the question mark out and turn it into a statement that might look something like this. Uh, It does not profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul, right? Like, none of us, I think, would argue against that. It's like, yeah, why does it matter if I have millions of dollars and seven houses and 14 cars and this and that and the other, but I lose my soul at the end of the day when I die. That's not going with me. There's no gain there. Look at the next verse, verse 37. He has another question for him. He says, what can a man give in return for his soul? Similarly, we can rearrange those words and say, there is nothing a man can give. Jesus is pointing out the obvious here, saying, hey, look, like, what are you going to do? You can't give anything to get your soul back. You can't just live your life and at the end of it go, oh, I guess I'm dying. Here, let me cash in all this stuff and trade in my tokens at the arcade to get my soul back. That's not how it works. John Piper would say, there's no way to purchase your soul from hell. There's nothing we can do to get it back. And then verse 38, Jesus gives us one final consideration. He says this, For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the angels. Two parts to draw your, or three parts to draw your attention to here. One is, whoever is ashamed of me and my words. The idea of shame. Maybe for some of you, being here on Sunday mornings, or being with your small group during the week is a great thing, and you're excited to be there, but then when you go to work, or you go hang out with other friends, or you go hang out with other people, and they say, hey, you do the, you do the whole church thing, right? It's like, oh, and you kind of feel like Peter, where you go, no, 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 I have nothing to do with that. I, I mean, yeah, I go to church, but it's only because my, my mom made me growing up, and now I just like, it's a fun thing to do on Sunday mornings right. Jesus speaks it. I said, hey, whoever is ashamed of me, look here on the next slide, of that person will the son of man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his father. So Jesus kind of hits four different angles to this, saying, hey, like, this is what it entails. This is the package of following me. It's denying yourself. It's taking up your cross. And it's coming after me as an apprentice, as a disciple, to imitate me, to learn everything from me, to devote your life to being like me. So let's do a quick recap here. So we have verse 31 through 33. Peter more focused on man than he is God, which I think we all are, right? We often, we think in a finite way of, well, I need to do this, so then that's better, and then that's better, and the sequence of events, and well, if I'm this age now, well, in 10 years, I'll be this age, and in 10 more years, I'll be that age, and I need to plan ahead. I need to do this and take care of that and put this thing here and do that. Then we have verse 34. Jesus reveals what it really means to follow after him. He says, listen, guys, you guys aren't getting it. You've been with me this long, and you're still not understanding what it really means. It's not about preserving and having safety. That's not how you save your life, right? He says it's really about letting it all go, seeking after me, identifying with me. And in verse 35 through 38, Jesus confronts us with four different considerations regarding our lives. So here's a question for you. Why is it so hard? Why is it so hard to follow Jesus? We meet weekly as, as a staff, and we go through what we call a sermon collaboration, and one of the guys said, I said, man, like, why is it so hard to follow Jesus? And It's a good question to consider, and there's probably many ways we could answer that, but here's, here's kind of how I would answer it. The way of the cross is in complete opposition to the way of self. We wrestle with this internal battle. And I know many of you are familiar with it. Many of you feel it every single morning, every single day, this tug between myself and this tug between following Jesus. And which way am I going to go? Which way am I going to go in this decision? How am I going to handle this thing over here? Am I going to go the way that's for me and selfish way that's more about me? Or am I going to go the way of the cross? Am I going to deny myself completely? Am I going to have no association with it? So let's look at that. I'll give you some examples. So we have the way of self versus the way of the cross. The way of self sounds something like this. The way of self sounds like if I have or gain X, then I'll have the value Y, right? That's kind of how our culture operates. Well, if I have a house... Then I, I earn a certain status, or if I get married, or I have kids, or I get a promotion, or I have more money, or I have more toys, right? Again, nothing inherently wrong with those things, but are those things driving your perceived value of yourself amongst your peers, even amongst your small group, amongst your people here that are part of our local church family at Summit, that's the way of self. That's a self way of thinking. Here's the way of the cross. Jesus says, let me be your identity. And in it, you'll gain it all. Everything. More than you can imagine. And the little hint there, in case you didn't catch it. The all is eternity, right? Like, Jesus doesn't promise us a prosperity gospel. It's a, hey, come to me, and then I'll give you cars and cool things, and you'll be like the coolest kid in your street. no. He's like, hey, guess what? I have something far greater than that. And it'll never expire. It'll last forever. And it's perfect relationship with me and my father in heaven, in eternity. Man, that sounds good. That sounds better than the car. That sounds better than the nice house. Here's another one for you. The way of self says, I'm seeking desires that serve myself. I want that thing to make my life better. I want that thing to make my life more comfortable. I want that thing that's better for me, for my family, for my friends. That's going to be good for everyone, right? But the way of the cross, desires are now aligning with God. Hey, God, this is what I desire. I know that's a selfish thought. This is what I want in this moment. But here's what I really want, Lord. I want want what you want. Rework my heart. Give me new desires that are fresh and new, that that are about the things that you want. And if they align with what I want, great. And I think we'll learn over time, the more we do that, the more often that our desires start to align with God's desires. Think about Peter. He rebukes Jesus because his desire wasn't aligned with God's. His desire was for himself. He's like, whoa, 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 Jesus, I like this right now. We get to hang out every day. I don't want you to go die. Why would you go die? That's not what Peter desired. Peter desired, I want you here where I can put my arm around you and call you my brother and walk with you and eat lunch with you and do all the things. I don't want you to leave. But that was the way of self. And the way of the cross, as we know, involved Jesus going to his death. Next one is this. The way of self is comfort, Right? If I said to raise your hand, if you like being comfortable, I think everyone's hand would either be up or you'd be lying, right? Like nobody goes and like goes to the mattress store and says, hey, give me your worst mattress. Like do you have one that's like a plywood that's like going to give me slivers when I roll around? Like no. We're like, okay, what's the best mattress I can afford in my budget? We want to be comfortable physically. But I think we also want to be comfortable socially, emotionally. We like to stay in a place that doesn't step too far out of our comfort zone. Some of us are more willing to go outside of our comfort zone, but maybe not for long. Where the way of the cross is suffering. It's not comfortable. Jesus certainly didn't feel comfortable as he was trudging up the hill, carrying a cross on his back, blood and sweat dripping down his face. Nobody, you know, I'm sure if you ask Jesus if he was comfortable he would say comfort. Who said this is about being comfortable? The way of the cross is suffering. Next one is this, next one is acceptance. The way of self is acceptance, and you guys can probably easily guess, the way of the cross is rejection. Which one more categorizes you? Are you more focused on, I just want to be accepted. I want my family to like me. I want my friends to like me. I want my neighbors to like me. I want my coworkers to like me. I want to be accepted. I am going to align with what they say. I'm even going to be a chameleon. If they say they like one thing, well, I'm going to go home and Google it so I can talk about it the next day at work. Jesus faced utter rejection. Maybe there's something that you need to deny in your life, and maybe it's this. Maybe it's the desire to be accepted by everyone who doesn't follow Jesus. Because guess what? That's not what it's about. The next one is this The way of self is self worth. Are you all about finding self worth? Are you all about believing that you're good enough and you're awesome and you're wonderful? Guess what? That's not really true. I know it's not a popular thing to say, but here's the reality The way of the cross is that your worth is found in Jesus and Jesus alone. There's nothing about you apart from Him that's worth anything. That's the truth. We're wretched sinners. So this new thing that we even call a gospel being spread throughout our country of, hey, you just do you, you just do you, you're awesome, you're good enough, you need more self-care, more you time. That's in direct conflict to the cross. Because Jesus says, No, come to me, and your worth is found in me. I give you worth. Not because of all these other things. Next one very similarly, self-confidence. I understand self confidence, I get it. It's maybe a desirable thing for some of us. But guess what? Self confidence starts when we find the source, right? The confidence in Jesus. That's the way of the cross. Not boasting in our own ways, but boasting in our weakness and saying, hey, look, I can be confident because I know the gospel of Jesus. I know what the cross did. It is finished, just like we sang earlier. And guess what? I'm a new creation, not because of anything I've done, not because of anything I've achieved in my life, right? Paul says, I count all as lost. I don't look back and count those things as good or bad or indifferent. But he says, my identity is with Jesus now. My confidence comes from him. Maybe you're looking for an easy life, the way of self being ease. But the way of the cross is difficult. difficult. It's challenging. Jesus doesn't mince his words about that, not here, nor in other parts of Scripture. He says, Hey, listen, many of you are gonna fall away. It's not an easy road to follow me. All right? The gate is narrow. But the invitation is there, but again, you need to deny yourself. If you're looking for an easy life, Jesus may not be for you. That's the reality. Because ease involves self-indulgence and taking everything that you want for yourself. And Jesus doesn't call us to that. We have two more here. The next one is self-glory in contrast with shame. Right? I think if we're all honest with ourselves in the darkness of the, the safety of our home, as we lay in bed at night, many of us probably gravitate towards thoughts that are self-glorifying. Things that we desire, things that would make us look better to others, things that would make us feel better about ourselves, that really are self-focused internally. If we examine our hearts, I think we probably all share in this in some degree of I want to glorify myself. This is the conflict of man, right? Think back to the garden. The apple was self-glorification. Well, surely if you eat from it, you'll know the knowledge of good and evil. Oh, I want that. I want to be like God. I want the same glory as God. So I'm going to eat this apple. But the cross is shameful. The cross involves getting spat on. The cross involves getting whipped and beaten and scorned. And lastly, the way of self desires safety. Some of us here in America really enjoy the safety that we have around us. It's very safe. It's great. I enjoy it as well. We can come here on a Sunday morning. No one's concerned right now about what's going on out in the parking lot or across the street or at your home, I don't think. We all can sit here comfortably and enjoy the air conditioning and we're safe, right? But that's not the way of the cross because the way of the cross is dangerous and it leads to death. That's the invitation. Jesus isn't just saying, hey, come follow me and we'll have a dandy old time. He says, no, are you ready to die? Are you ready to go to death, to pick up your cross and follow me up this hill, and to be mocked and scorned and put to shame and surrender everything you have, surrender all your preferences, and to ultimately die? Romans 6, 4 says this, We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too— might walk in newness of life. And it continues in verse 5 For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. If you want to save your life, you want the resurrection story, guess what? You can't have a resurrection without a death. Some things in your life might need to be put to death, some things need to be denied. Some of you need to take up your cross. Let's look again at the offer that Jesus gives us. This isn't a works based theology. Let's be clear with that. Really, what this is, is this is a a clarification of the byproducts of genuine faith. Like the man who saw the buried treasure, he understood, oh, I want that. I'd give everything to have that because that's what the kingdom of heaven is. I want to be a part of that. I'll sell all my things. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. So what about Peter? Let's go back to Peter as we wrap things up this morning. Peter chose the way of self, right? And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Peter, 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 what are you doing? But as I thought about that, I thought, man, in a lot of ways, I'm not indirectly rebuking Jesus to his face, but my actions and my thoughts and my words to other people are rebuking Jesus. They're going against the way that Jesus would have me live, and I'm crossing into the way of self again in this battle and getting away from the way of the cross. But then... The story continues, right? Some of you know. So yes, he chose self again and again and again. He denies Jesus three times. But then Peter says, I'm ready to choose the way of the cross. You don't need to turn to it. You can if you want to. But John 21 gives this full picture account of Peter and I love it because it's, it's, you know, we don't always get happy endings in Scripture. But in a lot of ways, this is, uh, well, it's a happy ending that then has a less happy ending in a sense. Um, that's not recorded in Scripture. But look at this. They had finished breakfast, and Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? One. He said to him, yes. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Three times, three denials, three chances to say, I love you, Jesus. But then look what's different. In verse 18, Jesus says this. This is the last thing that's recorded of Jesus and Peter in their last interaction. Jesus says this He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. The way of self. He said, Peter, when you were young, you used to do whatever you wanted. You dress yourself, you walk wherever you wanted, you did things your way. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and cure you where you do not want to go. Foreshadowing of Peter's coming crucifixion. and In a very literal sense, Peter picked up his own cross and was crucified, just like Jesus. Now, that probably won't be the case for us. I don't think so. Unless things drastically change in our circumstances, we probably won't be crucified on a cross. But the reality is this. Peter... Receives the same offer from Jesus that he did previously. The offer still exists. And then he says this it says, after saying this to him, he said, or after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Even Peter, even the guy who denies Jesus three times, the pinnacle of his life, the offer's still there. He's like, Peter, come on, it's time. You've been doing it the way of self far too long, but now guess what? The way of the cross is still here, Peter. You can still do it. It's not too late. You used to, when you were young, you used to do it your way, but guess what? When you're old, I'm going to tell you, this is how it's going to go, because I already know, because I'm Jesus. Someone else is going to clothe you. Someone else is going to take you places you don't want to go. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. I couldn't possibly know where everyone's at. In this room, that'd be impressive. Um, I probably would deserve some gold star of some sort if I could uh, discern that. But you know, in your heart, as you sit here this morning, where are you? Are you like Peter, just kind of hanging out? Like, well, I want Jesus, but I also want things my way. All right? So, once anyone wants, hey, this isn't Burger King, right? You can't have it your way. You can have it Jesus' way, or you cannot have it. Maybe for you this morning is the first time where you say, hey, you know what? I'm done with self. Knowing that it's going to be a battle. Knowing that it's going to be a crossover back and forth. But knowing for now, saying, hey, you know what? I'm drawing a line in the sand. I'm stepping across. I'm done with the way of self. I want more than just what Jesus has to offer. I want to identify fully with him. I want to be raised to life with Jesus, but it also means I have to be buried with him. I want my life, myself to be gone. The way I did things then, I'm not going to do anymore. My self is gone. My selfish ambitions are gone. My thoughts, my desires, my wants. I don't want those anymore. I want them to be what Jesus would have for me. Let's pray. Father, I think about Peter. You knew exactly what was happening. You knew Peter's heart in every moment, Lord, just as you know ours in every moment. Father, I don't know why it's so hard why we struggle in the flesh with our own desires and the way of self. Help us to desire you, Father. The thought of denying ourselves and taking up our cross, that doesn't sound easy. I don't know why it has to be that way, but you've chosen to invite us in to this beautiful thing where we could be raised after we die. Lord, I pray for each person in this room. I pray for myself. I ask that you would be clear to us in this moment. What's that thing we need to let go of? What's the thing that we need to let die? Father, maybe it's a certain sin. Maybe it's a lifestyle. Maybe it's a self-righteous way of living or a legalistic way. Only through you, Lord, is life found. Help us to follow after you in all aspects of our life, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.